This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hello, everyone. I'm Erin Straza. And, and now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion, Persuasion with Erin Straza and Hannah Anderson. Rational minds and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Today's conversation is part of our summer mini-series, Showing Up. Each episode has explored a different aspect of what it means to be faithfully present in our current day. We've talked a lot about vulnerability and relationships, especially as it relates to building friendships with people who have maybe different beliefs or different ideas. And we've also talked about having honest conversations with others. And, you know, Hannah, something I've noticed so far is that this idea of showing up It requires two things, um, a willingness to ask questions as well as a willingness to share your own thoughts with others. And I feel like those two things have to work in tandem to have these good conversations where you can show up and be fully present. Absolutely. And I've noticed in my own experience of the last few weeks and months as we're all trying to emerge again, that this is hard enough to do one-on-one, right? Trying to rebuild those kinds of conversations with people that you had a relationship with and maybe there was um, some change over the last year, 18 months, new people. Um, But as hard as it is to do one-on-one, I've been thinking a lot about how hard or at least the challenges of doing this as groups, right? Because we've been talking about that kind of interpersonal dimension. But it's occurred to me that as much as we as individuals have experienced this kind of disruption, um, we're experiencing it in the organizations we're part of as well. Oh, sure. I think that even my own church, we've felt a little bit out of sorts. Um, We are in the community attempting to still connect with people, but it's almost like we're feeling just as awkward as a group as we are individually. And one of the things that I keep thinking about is that being vulnerable personally is similar to being vulnerable in a group, but all of this vulnerability, it's not just for vulnerability's sake. Like we're showing up for a purpose. And so I think by working together with others in our local bodies, I think that that really helps us to feel more connected together, like we're working toward a common end. Right. And and I think one of the challenges of this moment, even if we can grasp that goal, even if we can assent to we're all kind of showing up for the common good and for yeah. common goals, one of the very real challenges is that our organizations and communities had this like hard stop. Mm-hmm. It, it was this really abrupt, um, you know, pause in even being able to gather, even be able to exist in the way we had been existing, not just in our interpersonal presence, but very deep things about the way workplaces and schools and churches were functioning were radically altered. And then coming out of this, 
we've got to ask questions about that. Like, do we just go back to the way things were? Right, right. You know, like, what <laughs> do we save? <laughs> what do we, you know, it, it's an interesting opportunity um, to both kind of evaluate what we were doing, but it's also a challenge to say what was worth keeping, what yeah. should carry forward. And in many ways, we're rebuilding communities that exist, that already exist. It's not like a yeah. fresh start. Right. Um, but it's shaking it all up. I mean, just as within the corporate realm, so many corporate offices are deciding, oh, we don't need to have all this space. And there's all these empty office buildings now because they're they're staying remote. They're staying virtual. But for the church, part of our functioning is to be together as a body. So we aren't going to do that. But that's weird now. It's it's almost like, well, everyone else is making changes and, and staying remote. What do we do? How do we draw people together as a body and have that face-to-face -face vulnerability? And for what end? What What is it that we're trying to accomplish by meeting and gathering together? And what would the DNA of that look like? Like, so often, you know, especially within design, people talk about form and function kind of communicating with each other, that the thing that you're called to do is also the way that you will go about doing it. Um, and so as we're thinking about re-engaging, showing up in our communities, we have this space to say, number one, like you've said, what are we trying to do? What's the purpose of this? And how does that purpose inform our habits, our perspectives, our attention, our resources? And it's a bit overwhelming, but it's also a really fantastic opportunity. It really is. Well, recently, we had the opportunity to connect with Adam Gustine about how we can show up in our communities in ways that advance the common good, that have a common purpose, and really helped, he helped us explore what kind of communities are worth rebuilding. Well, Adam, we are so thrilled that you would join us today for Persuasion. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. We have been discussing all kinds of things related to uh, showing up in life, and we would love to have your perspective on that because of your work and your background. Could you tell all of our listeners a little bit about yourself and your work? Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to be on with you today. My um, My current work is at the University of Notre Dame. I direct a uh, a justice education program here. Uh, and in South Bend, Indiana, I am also uh, on the board of a nonprofit um, project that uh, we helped to get started thinking about economic justice in local neighborhoods. Um, we came to that work from a, a pretty long season of working in uh, congregational ministry, denominational ministry, uh, primarily and sort of overwhelmingly focused on asking questions about what does it mean to be church in the neighborhood and uh, what justice means uh, related to the life of a local community of faith. That journey took us from Illinois to New York to Chicago and ultimately here to, uh, to Notre Dame and Indiana. I think that's how we stumbled across your work um, through your book, Becoming a Just Church. Um, 
cultivating communities of God's shalom. And I'm assuming that that's very integrated to all of this other work that you've done, kind of taking it and communicating it more broadly. Yeah, I think, the, you know, the interesting thing to me is I, I feel very fortunate and blessed to have had the opportunity to, to be in the ministry spaces that I've been in. I, I've seen uh, congregational life in inner city contexts, in uh, more suburban context, and then uh, in some of my roles where I've worked nationally with, with churches and maybe their connected nonprofit organizations, I've just gotten to see so such a wide spectrum of ways in which Christians are trying to embody their faith in community together for the, the sake of their neighborhoods. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, a lot of what came out of the book for me was, was driven by this desire to really help churches grasp the opportunity in front of them to embody the kingdom of God and to, to, to see the layers in which uh, God's shalom and justice are, are woven into the fabric of even what it means to be the people of God. Um, you know, I think early on in the book, I, I just I really want to emphasize that justice is a way of life. It's not a it's not a checkbox sort of thing. It's not something we opt into or out of based on whether or not we are passionate about that issue. Uh, from the very beginning, God intended the people of God uh, to be a just people. Uh, it's a matter of the kind of people we are and the character of our community. Yeah, I think I remember you saying something like it's not a ministry strategy or or, or a way to make connections. The, the, the pursuit of justice is not a way that you reach out into your community. Maybe it's a way of being um, in the community, in your neighborhood uh, as the people of God. Yeah, you know, it, it, it often gets framed in, uh, and I understand why, kind of as like the outreach arm of you know, what a church may be about. But, um, you know, you could check my math on this, but the scriptures never really describe the work of justice as a an outworking of the Great Commission. The scriptures are, are very clear that justice is about faithfulness. Uh, justice is about obedience to God and the kind of uh, life that God asks for of uh, the people, both Old Testament and New Testament. And I do think that that... Um, that that ought to change the way that we think about what it means to be church and think about justice. One of the things that I'm thinking of right now, Adam, is that the the concept of justice, the issue of justice, it is at the forefront of so many conversations today. And I think that some are readily embracing what you are discussing and what you are sharing, but others are feeling leery as if this just seems like um, the latest hot trend or something like that. And I think that because of today's cultural climate, some people are feeling a little unsure about what is justice and is this really something that the church should be about? What are some things that you've encountered with that leeriness? And then how have you helped to maybe diffuse some of that uncertainty? Yeah, well, it, this is not original to me, but, uh, you know, it's been said that it's it's very difficult to demonize somebody that you know. And one of the reasons why I think it's so important for us to imagine what God's justice looks like in our community is that uh, we're talking about our actual neighbors. We're talking about people that we share a community with. And so it, it, it is not an issue. It's not an abstraction. It's not something that uh, lives in the world of theory. 
And that means then that it doesn't belong to the talking heads on whatever uh, TV channel I have tuned in at the moment. Um, this is uh, this is my neighbor. These are issues that impact uh, their lives, their ability to flourish and experience anything even remotely close to the abundant life that Jesus uh, talked about coming to give. Um, and so I think that that's, that's really the key point is that justice is not an abstract idea. Justice is a matter of, of what it means to love our neighbors uh, the way that God demonstrated love uh, to us. I think that's essential. Um, and, I, and I do believe that that's one of the ways that, that I've both tried and encouraged others to try to, to navigate this. If my, if my basic strategy is to um, convince someone who might be leery um, at just like an ideological level, that's, that's a tough conversation to have. Um, but if we start having conversations at the neighborhood level, um, I think that, that um, we can get a lot farther. I mean, I can tell you one, one time I was leading a, a session in Michigan and, and, and I was engaging with a, with a, a community, a, a local church community. And we did this exercise where we sent everyone out into the neighborhood, praying the Lord's Prayer through the lens of uh, God's shalom and justice. And what would it look like if the kingdom of God really took root here um, in this neighborhood? And, and I remember a guy who I perceived to be somewhat antagonistic to the entire conversation coming back from that experience saying, I drove over to the neighborhood where my office is, and it's been a neighborhood that I've really tried to move my business out of for years. Uh, I've not liked it. It's felt run down. It, uh, the people are frustrating to me. And he said, you know, I sensed something today that I've never sensed before. And I saw a possibility, an opportunity. I saw the people in a new light. And I think that's the kind of thing that we need to be able to do. Our antagonisms will only come down in the face of an actual person who bears the actual image of God. Um, if we continue to try and do this uh, at a distance, we're going to have trouble overcoming some of those divides. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. I love what you're saying there about the particularity of this conversation, that it is embodied, it, it's real people within our communities and neighborhoods, it's giving attention to specific realities and specific needs. And I've been thinking of that a lot, even um, through the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, because it seems to me that one of the things 
we were given in this really difficult time was um, the possibility of a greater awareness about the inequity that exists within our society. Um, I've heard folks talk about the pandemic as if it were apocalyptic in the in the literal sense of revealing it revealed a lot of the disparities and i know even within my own community i'm in a white working class community in um appalachia and one of the things that was really difficult for our community was this tension between folks who were quote unquote essential workers um and also the struggle with schooling and so we had this very clear what people had been talking about, you know, more generally became came into stark relief through the last 18 months that um, you have these families who can't have the kind of economic or uh, vocational support they need within their jobs. So they have to be at work, but at the same time, their children are not being educated um, because of the pandemic. So that was one thing, you know, I saw coming out as a clear need. Um, and as we return to our communities and our churches, what kinds of lessons did you see or what kinds of things should we have learned from this last period about where the inequities are, what we as congregations coming back together need to do and think about moving forward? Yeah. Um, I appreciate the way that you talked about that because of how much conversation there was about essential workers and and how it really does have to take on a very particular lens um, and that that it brings on new meaning when you think about it locally. Um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about um, over this last 18 months is, um, you know, we do live now in a world where the conversation around justice is much more mainstream and in, and in almost every way that can only be a good thing for us to be talking about these questions, um, for it to be much more commonplace, uh, for people's perspectives to be sought after in ways that maybe they had been ignored or marginalized before. I think all those things are really good. I do think that one of the concerns that I have that I, that I think has been sort of revealed is, um, the this somewhat of the superficiality of our commitment to justice and how easy it is to sort of curate um, an image that would that would signal that I am for God's justice or that I'm an ally in the work of justice. And one, I do think that that's one of the things that social distancing has kind of made us do over the last is now we now we engage digitally, um, which I'm I'm thankful for many of the ways in which. Uh, technology brought us together, but but I do think we have to admit that that by definition, doing something online is a disembodied approach to most issues. And so, we have been for eighteen months talking about justice issues in a very disembodied way. In many cases, we we don't all have that connection that you were talking about. So I think one of the fears that I have is that it's made it easy to care about issues without it costing us anything. And I think that discipleship, period, must cost us something. There is nothing about um, following Jesus faithfully in the world that is that is easy. And I think that being uh, someone who advocates and works for the justice of God taking root in the world, that has to cost us something. 
And in some ways, um, the pandemic has made it easy to care without it costing us. And so I think that we need to be taking stock now about now as many communities are starting at some level to sort of emerge from uh, pandemic uh, restrictions. We need to be thinking about what does it mean to then really embody the things that we care about um, to to actually live uh, out our commitments to justice and, and the gospel. Um, my fear is that we might have realized that we've sort of, sort of been socially distanced from our neighbors at the markets for far too long. And the pandemic just sort of uh, showed us that we've been disconnected maybe longer than we think. I appreciate that, that concern. And I've seen that in myself and even in my community where so many people have, because of social distancing, there was a time where we all needed to disengage from being connected physically and, and being engaged physically. But now that things are opening back up again, so many churches or even community events, venues, they're all saying that people coming back and volunteering or helping or being involved, all of that, that participation is dropping. And I think people are having a hard time wanting to get back into the swing of things. And there could be all kinds of reasons for that, of course. But as we think about this in terms of God's people working toward the common good and where we can do that, whether that's in our church body or by being involved in the community in some way. If we are not out face-to-face doing that hard work that costs something, then that's a void that our communities are going to be feeling. And I, I've sensed that, and I'm curious, Adam, if you've um, been able to have some conversations and and direct people in a way that would encourage them to show up again and be vulnerable and and to basically be willing to to count that cost. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I would want to encourage people to be thinking about now, um, to the extent that we're at the tail end of something that's unclear, but but there is still time to think about this. Is is rather than investing so much energy into um, trying to do as much digitally or virtually as we used to do in person, um, ask ourselves, what what is the opportunity presented to us by this moment? And I think about, you know, if we were to say that the, that the kingdom of God is, is like a revolution, uh, and I think about that sort of it's sort of cliche to say that, the, you know, the revolution will not be televised. I think about this idea that the revolution is not going to be quarantined either. The revolution is not happening the same way during quarantine. But in any revolution, there is always a period of time where the revolutionaries have to go underground for whatever reason. And I think about those kinds of times as times of training and testing and refining and being ready to then emerge to do the work that they feel called to do. Maybe that's a bad, I'm not particularly fond of that violent metaphor maybe, but, but I, I think about this idea that, that at some level as the people of God, we did have to go underground for a while. And, and, but what if we saw it as a time of testing and refining? 
of equipping because someday the revolution is going to take to the street again and it's going to matter that we're ready for it. And I think that's the thing that I would say even now, I think there is still time to say, what does it mean to see these next few months, next year as a time to really be sure that as we step back out into the world, we don't just step back into a status quo that permitted too much injustice to happen, but that we've reoriented our way of life around the kingdom of God that has a full sort of comprehensive scope of the world as God wants it. And we are part of that mission. We get to go out and be signposts of the kingdom of God. Uh, In my book, I talk about the fact that the church is like a demonstration plot of the kingdom of God, where when you walk by the church, it's like you see uh, plants, crops planted in a field and you can say, oh, that's what that's what that crop ought to look like. Uh, the, the, the church is that same thing. When, when people walk by the church, when they encounter the people of God, they ought to have a sense of what the kingdom of God looks like. That's really what the opportunity that we have had. And I do still think we have in front of us is a refining and equipping period so that we step out in the right direction. And I just want to underline that um, for our listeners, especially if any of our listeners are in church leadership, whether um, lay leadership or you're among the clergy. Adam's point here is really significant. We don't have to rush back. Maybe we shouldn't rush back to getting things going again the way they were pre pandemic like this this is not a race to see how much how quickly we can all get back to our um, programs and all the things we were doing before and get them established and set up and I would even um, underscore this having been in local church life for the majority of my adult life been in local church leadership um, you know summer is not a time anyone's doing anything so you've got a good two months, three months to just sit with this. Just sit and reflect and consider and, and take time to chart a course in this direction. Like we've had a hard stop and it's an opportunity, as Adam said, this is a real opportunity to rebuild communities that are intentionally focused in this direction. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, there's so much... Um... Churches, even the church that I'm part of now, the conversation is we're, we have to relearn how to be in community with one another. Um, and if we do the work of relearning how to be in community without asking the question of what kind of community does God desire from us, then we will have missed an incredible moment um, that that is being afforded to us now. Um, certainly not in good circumstances, but if we miss this, uh, it'll be a lesson unlearned, and that that'd be a real tragedy, I think. That that picture there, um, what kind of community, and what is it that we are necessarily building? I think that that is the um, the exciting opportunity that we have before us. Is what what is this that we are really working toward? And when things come to a halt, it does give us that chance to step back and take a look and and decide: Is this are we going in the right direction? Are these things really reflecting the kingdom? And are we engaged locally in a way that represents 
God and his kingdom in the best way? Are there other things we can do? I wondered um, here in just the last couple minutes we have left, Adam, would you talk a little bit about um, some things that you've seen in your work and in your church for um, things that represent the work well and represent the kingdom in a in a good, positive light? Are there some things, just some ideas that you could leave us with? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that um, in saying that justice and, and the kingdom of God is not a program, I do think you 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 want to step back and, and kind of consider it all at one period of time, uh, consider it all together. So what is what are the layers of discipleship that are involved in this? Uh, what are the layers of of the the way that we gather to worship and what happens when we worship together? Um, how do we consider the community that we're in and 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 who is it that we uh, are sort of implicitly saying that we are designed for, even with the way that we set up our communities of faith? So if it were me, I think that that if if I was part of a church leadership team, I would really want to ask the question, who belongs, who feels that they belong, and who are the people that that are articulating that they don't feel that this is a place for them. And I think that the churches uh, that I have encountered that are, that are the most winsome and the most compelling are thinking about those questions, not just who has a seat at the table, but whose table even is this? And, um, and what difference does that make to the way that we do that? Um, one of the things that I, I like to say is that my favorite pastors are the, the pastors that know everyone's name, and you can tell that they've got the grit of the sidewalk under their shoes. And to be able to walk with those pastors in their communities, um, to me, that's the, that's the compelling piece. Now, of course, that doesn't have to be just pastors. That is all of us. That's the vocation of being the people of God, is to is to refuse that uh, separation that's been sort of forced on us. Now we have the opportunity to start to re-engage at that level. The other thing that I would say is that churches, and if, you know, maybe they've got a nonprofit connected to their church or not, I don't think that that is essential, but a lot of churches are thinking about that because there's there are tangible things that churches can be doing to engage in their community. If they think about their community almost like a like a greenhouse, well, there are certain things that make for, for the plants in the greenhouse to flourish. But then there's also going to be things that need to be happening for the most vulnerable plants to make sure that they thrive along with all the other plants. I think about communities in, in fairly similar ways. And I think churches can think about themselves as sort of like gardeners in greenhouses, what are the most vulnerable plants in our greenhouse and what targeted care needs to be part of our approach to make sure that they can flourish and thrive? That to me is a strategy question um, that churches could do a lot of really creative thinking about. And, and um, the churches that I've encountered that are, that are really have a winsome vision and, and presence in their community are asking those kinds of things. I love that. It's so helpful to hear that metaphor of the greenhouse and, and tending the plants and just so helpful. I really appreciate that, Adam. And thank you so much for joining Persuasion today to talk with us. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. We will make sure to get all of your uh, connections put into the show notes so that people can follow you. But thanks so much for joining us for today. Anna, I really appreciated everything that Adam had to say about casting this vision and this picture for how we can work together and what that common end would be for us as God's people. It was really great to hear it articulated so clearly. I think a lot of us have felt, um, maybe even the last year, has revealed a lot of the gaps and the weaknesses, and then to have a positive vision laid out so clearly to say, yes, here's the pressures you feel, but here's what it should be. And so I was really grateful for his coming on and also, yeah, yeah, and also for the his book, um, Becoming a Just Church, Cultivating Communities of God's Shalom, because it kind of lays it all out there, what it should look like, what we're even trying to move toward. And we would love um, for listeners to join in the conversation, too, um, and to kind of encourage you in that direction. We're giving away a couple copies of Adam's book, and you can enter to win a copy of it by um, sharing this episode online, um, tagging us in it, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram, um, just to get the word out about this conversation with Adam. As always, you can find us um on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC, and you can join us in conversation in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum. You can be part of that um, by a $5 a month donation, and that gives us the ability to continue this good work and these conversations, um, as well as all the other articles and conversations that Christ and Pop Culture is cultivating within the broader network. Persuasion is produced by Jonathan Clausen, and it's part of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can find all of our shows at ChristandPopCulture.com, or you can search for them over in iTunes. And thanks so much to all of you for listening to Persuasion. We will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind. From mentoring one woman to leading a ministry, browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.